0: Welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Here are Scott and Bill.
1: Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And, Bill, it's Thursday. We're back. Yeah. You're yeah. going to do a wedding?
0: I'm going to do a wedding. Um, and um, hopefully, you know, the Canadians will not attack us this weekend.
1: Yeah. Our, 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 our
0: national security. And, uh, our yeah. quiet
1: friends to the uh, north.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, they, according to the president, they burned Washington once, which wasn't true. but uh Nonetheless, you know, you never know when they're going to get that in their, you know, we don't, we're not building a wall there. Maybe we need to think about a wall up there in the northern, northern border and as would well. Would they pay for it too?
1: Or would Mexico pay for both? I, that would
0: be cool. I think, I think Canada will pay as much towards would be the cool wall as Mexico would. Be. As if
1: Great Britain paid for the wall because of what they did in the White House in the War of 1812.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, someone needs to tell the president who's guilty of doing the, the, the War of 1812, but, uh. Anyway, so, yeah, so a little bit of that well-known, a stupid war. I mean, most wars are stupid, but one that really didn't need to be fought was the War of 1812 which we basically lost for the most part. <laughs> Fortunately, the British kind of lost interest. I mean, we, yeah, we did win the battle, uh, battle of New Orleans in the War of 1812, but that battle was fought after the war was over. <laughs> it's good
1: that we were in those days a less interesting opponent. Some days it's good to not be interesting. <laughs> yes. Some days being interesting yes. is very overrated.
0: Yeah, so that was uh, it was good for the British to get bored with us on, on that one, yeah. And uh, for those, the War of – 1812 Overture was not about that war either. So <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: we, we want to clarify out I, a couple –
1: Michelle Wolfe, you know, who did the White House Correspondent? Yeah. I watched her stand up. She says, you know how you feel when someone you break up with gains weight and you're happy? That's probably how England feels about us. <laughs> hey, America, you look different. How's math and science
0: going? <laughs> Oh my goodness, it's pretty
1: pretty. She's pretty funny. She has a new special which is actually quite it's called The Break. And I I don't know if it's on like weekly, but it's if, it's it's quite funny. It's it's right, really good. There we go. Yeah, I w- I would recommend it.
0: Yeah, sounds sounds good.
1: But we are going to talk today about uh you know, so- about Richard Rohr's You are on Richard Rohr's Email list.
0: Yeah, he sends out a daily devotional meditation.
1: Does he right? personalize yours, or you just get the same <laughs> yeah, way everybody yeah, I'm gets? not
0: personalized, and uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't read it. I, I don't read it every day, but today was kind of interesting, particularly since we were. Thinking.
1: What ropes you in the 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 subject line? Is yeah, it, the subject subject list. line. Okay, so you should you should tell him. Okay, like, hey, I'd read more of this stuff if you.
0: Today's subject line was was this week's on creativity, and today's subject line was an anticipatory universe. I know for some reason I guess I needed the universe to be anticipatory today. <laughs> that oh yeah, me. but anyway, let me just talk a little bit about it. Um, you know, it's, it starts out by talking about the idea that we are created in the image of God, um, and then it talks it it, it uh, talks a little bit about the ideas of telhard de Chardin, the, the Jesuit priest who. Uh, uh, kind of talked about how to refocus Christian theology and epistemology, if you would, in the con- and, and actually anthropology, in the context of embracing an evolutionary view of things. Would that be a fair enough yeah. assessment? of him? Okay. Um, let's see. So, he, you know, let me just kind of uh, – became one of the very few Christian thinkers to acknowledge that the Darwinian revolution in contemporary cosmology – have important implications for theology. And they
1: kept like when he would dig up stuff and research they would send him to more obscure posts and <laughs> he'd find more fossils and stuff like that. Yeah, like right. he just he was he was very interesting in that regard.
0: Well, and none of his stuff actually, you know, it was all it was all uh, posthumously published. His controversial stuff. He well, he didn't let it anything. I thought that was most of his stuff was published after he died.
1: But that's what's going to happen with Bill and I's stuff. It's It's like the Al Capone vault.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's this idea that the earth has always been becoming. So this, to, to, in some levels, and frankly, then even if you, you know, feel the need to do any kind of uh, coherency between the Genesis account and science, uh, there's never any claim in Genesis 1 that the earth was, our universe was created perfect. It's good, but not perfect. Christians kind of read perfection back into it, but that's nothing that's actually in the text. So, this idea of talking about the incarnation of God into the redemptive gathering of the whole world is not just human souls into the body of Christ. This idea of a universal um, kind of salvation, uh, certainly in Colossians 1.13-20, Ephesians 1.19-20, and, you know, of course, he, they didn't say this, but the Romans 8 passage where all of creation's groaning for the redemption and revealing the sons of God. Our spiritual hope are resting on the future, therefore, simply the flowering and, uh, of, of human consciousness of what has always been an anticipatory universe. Um, and then he goes on to say, uh, to worship was formerly to prefer God to things, relating them to him and sacrificing them for him. To worship is now becoming to, to devote oneself, body and soul, to the creative act, associating oneself with the act in order to fulfill the world by hard work and intellectual exploration. Now, I think there's we would we would certainly not want to throw all of our theology after that, but but I think the first of all, the project of thinking theologically, uh, in view of current cosmology is what every great theological enterprise has done.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, some more Interested the numbers. well, or more
0: conscious era, unconsciously.
1: Yeah, I mean, some people are making it more. Some people are thinking more reflectively because the cosmology maybe is newer, or in transition. Whereas you probably take it at certain in certain generations, you take it as kind of just received givens.
0: Right. So you. So for instance, maybe. For Augustine, it was just the way he thought, whereas Aquinas, it was a, it was a conscious project.
1: Right. Are, are people in between Augustine and Aquinas, you know, there's probably some settling that, that goes on where, where for Aquinas, it's a bigger project. It's interesting, Augustine, because Augustine, right, like says that, of course, the creation account in Genesis 1 couldn't be literal because he thinks God couldn't do things temporarily like that, that God just wouldn't take his time. I mean, this this is just not the way like a platonic oriented God would do things. So it's, so it's interesting. He reads it mythologically, but for reasons of his own sort of best conventional cosmology and metaphysical insight, which it's, it's probably, it's probably like that kind of thinking that creates tension with evolutionary theory more than the Bible does. It's sort of the right. early incubator of the sort of Platonism that influences Augustine and many, many others that you start to think, well, if something's created by a, a good, you know, by the, the, the being at the top of the chain of being, then it's going to be perfect and,
0: right. and no, any change no.
1: is going to be for the worse. And it's sort, so I think you begin to, like you're saying, you begin to read a lot into the text that's not there in the Hebrew Bible.
0: You have problems if you think of God as omnipotent. Instead of thinking of them biblically as Almighty, because I think they're two different they're two different ideas. Yeah, because the Almighty, I mean, it kind of, I mean, you know, and I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you there because I think thinking of thinking translating Almighty uh, from the Hebrew scripture into omnipotent, I think does create some of that problem. And even
1: if you say God's omnipotent, the question is how is God wield power. Which is you know like the, the, right, the capacity then, for self-limiting and self-emptying and that kind of thing,
0: but I'm saying like all those uh, you know there is some biblical evidence for this to talk omnipotent omniscient all those things, but uh, but when we immediately when we use those Greek philosophical terms, we've already moved into a different thought world than the sure. spiritual concepts were were thought. And I mean I mean again I mean the New Testament certainly is a Greek it's thought it's it's a Greek worldview, but. I'm agreeing. I'm actually taking a long way to agree with you.
1: I like that circumspect.
0: Circumspect. That's how I always sneak it's up circum- on things. Yeah,
1: Yeah, you're very loquacious.
0: But I think to me, there's a sense where yeah, whether it's conscious or unconscious, you know, we're always trying. We're always trying to translate uh, into ways that we that make sense to us. There's also along with the danger of, and sometimes having you know, um, trying to to. Submit the whole prize. It's a difference between trying to make it understandable, but feeling the need to submit Christian doctrine to particular worldviews. I think that has. I think that has a more. Um, I think that's a more problematic way to, to do it. It's interesting. George
1: Hunzinger has a very interesting essay on the resurrection, and in it he he looks at like. I think Tillich on one hand who sort of he thinks over symbolizes the resurrection and people like Pondenberg and N.T. Wright who he thinks actually see too much to contemporary historiography and sort of subsume it under categories it can't be subsumed under. So, right. yeah, so, I mean, that's a tightrope that often has to be walked, right?
0: Well, and sometimes, you know, you and I have uh, one of my favorite quotes about a certain book, we won't have to get into a book, but uh, that it's a great argument made for an issue that you don't have, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> I think there's. I think sometimes um, there's. We 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 probably go too far. Maybe maybe I think I really think that could be one of the critiques of uh, uh, Teilhard de Chardin. The same. I think he he was working too hard <laughs> to make something fit that didn't necessarily didn't necessarily need to fit.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, you're right. I mean, we're always translating. But the question is, like, do you do you have to do you use that stuff theologically in an ad hoc fashion? And also it has to be, I mean, it, it has to be appropriated through the lenses of faith. Again, this is like where there's a difference between natural theology and the theology of nature. You're starting, you're looking at the created phenomena through the lens of what God's revealed, right? So that reveals other things. Yeah, you, you know, you're not start, you're looking f- to build from the ground up. Yeah, with with starting with sort of just human autonomous reason or something like that. Yeah, and I think it's yeah. actually why I think the the I would say that the old school Princeton, you know, Charles Hodge, B.B. Warfield, feel like that. Who a lot of American evangelicals are really those guys really shaped. The American evangelical view of inerrancy. I, I think those guys are liberals on revelation. I mean, sort of. Mm-hmm. There's a sense in which, okay, well, we'll establish the Bible's inerrancy based on sort of Enlightenment criteria. So, but but what you win with autonomous reason, you win to autonomous. So that's it's as if you're going to start, okay. Well, I'll get you in the front door with Autonomous Human Reason, then it'll shut down, and everything else will just be (laughs) faith-seeking understanding. And what you win them with is what you win them to very
0: often. Right, right, yeah.
1: I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout-out on the Thank You Roll Call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zall, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlan, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Kress, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Wittpenning, Simone Garabedian, Samantha Konauer, and Jim Kirk. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show.
0: Well and I actually still think I mean to me it's of fun to speculate a little bit about these things and try to think about Christian revealed truth um, and and how you have to think about it given maybe different different views for instance um, what does it mean for instance what what is the whole spiritual nature of humanity whatever that means again some people think that that even that itself is a is a problematic um, construct but If God initiated um, the whole creative process through some kind of evolutionary dynamic, and humanity certainly has that origin as well, it's interesting that, you know, that the spiritual life of our species would have emerged, you know, in a very kind of interesting way, the way our consciousness emerges. I was... I, you know, I was watching Westworld. I've started over. I, I'm in episode three, uh, season one. Start over, because so I like.
1: It, I, I'm finding I needed to sort of like get a picture of the whole thing.
0: But when something of that kind of nature happened with with Homo sapiens, there was a sense of beginning as one begins to understand consciousness. You know, that the kind of an emerging consciousness. Now it would have happened over a long period of time. You know, and and what language, but I find that's one of the things I've really found fascinating. What point did, you know, did humans have the opportunity to choose whether or not to worship God? Because at what
1: point did we lose consciousness? About the time Jersey Shore came
0: out. (laughs) That's when
1: humans (laughs) lost consciousness. But,
0: you know, the thing is, we're at, we have both with, with, you know, with great gifts come great responsibilities.
1: That's from Ben Parker. Right? To Peter Parker, Spider-Man that shaped his life.
0: I'm not sure that's the first person who said it. it Wow. It's most
1: famously Ben Parker. Peter, with great power comes great responsibility.
0: But what, you know, there's a sense where...
1: That would mean Thor has more responsibility than Spider-Man, because Thor's a lot more powerful.
0: (laughs) There we go. There we go. That's a good word there. But a tree glorifies God by being a tree. Um, A dog or an you know, an antelope. Or whatever. Someone in the
1: EPA glorifies Scott Pruitt by tearing like, it down, by destroying it,
0: <laughs> 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 and and trying to help him get a Chick Fil A. Uh, maybe some of our <laughs> listeners have connections to Chick Fil A. Apparently, that's something that he really wants for his wife. I love Chick Fil A. I, I like Chick Fil A. You know what
1: I like about you? I love those little ketchup packets that look like the Heinz ketchup bottle. Those oh, are so yeah, classic. Oh yeah, You open them up. Yeah, you get those are so down. classic. Very nice.
0: Yeah, nice. Yeah. Have you ever actually been out on Sunday and really want Chick Fil A? They're Sabbatarians. Exactly. I'm yeah. not into that. Yeah. But I, I think it's an interesting thing to think about in that, um, you know, and apparently what we know, Neanderthals, they seem to have some sort of religious kind of sentiment. So it's just fascinating to me at one point when the human species or whatever was, you know, whatever, whatever our our sister species, whatever, when they began to have to make a choice whether or not to think of God. I think that's an interesting uh, interesting turn uh, and uh, like I said, it gives us great advantage and great disadvantage and uh, great ill can come of it as well as magnificent things. And so I I think that's fun to speculate about because it also kind of in in a time where we're increasingly questioning how much, well, that, you know, every time it's questioned how much freedom humans have, now we're doing it from different, you know, different Different things now can take away our freedom, um, as opposed to the the erosion of the republic. (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to the fates and fortune. Now we have you know biological preterm determination, and apparently certain committees in the House uh, (laughs) of Representatives want to take away our rights. But you know, in terms of even in the midst of all the ways we're shaped genetically, our social conditioning. There's still this – there's an opportunity for us to say yes or no to the grace of God. To say yes or no to I will – you know, though you slay me, I will worship you. So I, I think to me that's an interesting thing to think about even in terms of not only where we are now as a species but in the history of the species. Yeah,
1: and I think that what I like about the Roar thing is that the sense that, you know, creation's. Goodness doesn't lie in its perfection, but it's its perfectibility. It's a place that can go somewhere. It's a garden that wants to become a city. You know, it's not. Mm-hmm. So there's a dynamism. Like there's there's an eschatology built into the beginning. There's even a separation of goodness and holiness in the in the fir, in the first creation account. So it's almost like there is this. And you have know, Hebrews four, you know, creation wanting to enter into God's eternal Sabbath rest. I mean, there's there's that, and that's... The other thing, like, I was rereading some stuff in Colin Gunton's Try and Crater, which is a fantastic book, and in it he says, he's talking about, uh, he, he says, the choice is inescapable. Either God or the world itself provides the reason why things are as they are. To personalize the universe or parts of it, particularly inert substance like molecules, is to succumb to crude forms of superstition. As we shall see, only a theology which distinguishes God from the world ontologically justifies the practices of science without succumbing to a pantheism or crypto pantheism, which effectively divinizes the temporal. Once the universe or any of its aspects is divinized, an absurd an absurd absurd attribution of creation to that which is only creature eventuates, a strange reversal of the very process by which science freed itself from ancient paganism. Our material therefore imposes on us a clear choice between a biblical and Hellenic ontology. Either the world creates itself or it's the product of a personal creator. The choice between the two cannot be made on purely rational grounds because they are rival dogmas to whose formulation centuries of thought have been given so that neither of them is irrational. Both are finely adopted by their various exponents on the basis of a wide range of consideration, but they are utterly contrary ways of interpreting the world in which we live despite the attempts that have been made to combine them. It's a very interesting point that, that actually, it, in, it, that real science can only be done with something like the the creator-creature crea- distinction so that the creation is not run by fates or sprites or things. It's mm-hmm. actually something that is rational. It's funny, too, because elsewhere he talks about Plato and places like the Republic, where there's sort of two kinds of reality, right? There's like the immaterial ontologically superior which is rational and, mm-hmm. and then there's the material which is inferior and you with the world view like Plato's you can't really do science because matters is chaos, it's not it's not something that now in the Timaeus it's a different kind of dialogue it right. gets a little closer to where you could right. have something like science because there you've got some kind of like divine craftsman but but it's it's just an interesting fact that actually as many Christians are, are that in conservative circles that seem to be antagonistic towards be, you know, experimental science and theoretical science. It's actually the Judeo-Christian sort of way of framing things is actually the things which would, which would justify what we think of as modern science.
0: And it, is, and it may be why it took the, you know, introduction of Aristotle, reintroduction of Aristotle in the West to help create a scientific revolution.
1: Let Let the revolution go on.
0: Let the revolution go on. All right. Very good. I think we're done. That's it. All right. Take care, guys. Listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and banter. Thanks again for listening to New Persuasive Words.